This is episode 198 of Alohomora for July 23rd, 2016. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another really great episode of Alohomora. No longer the global reread of the Harry Potter series formally, but we are digging into more and uh, exciting topics about the series that we love. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Kat Miller. And I am Rosie Morris. And it is my pleasure today to introduce our fantastic guest, Cody Gordon. Cody, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for for joining us for this episode. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little about you and how you got into Harry Potter. Sure. Um, I'm 27 years old from Oklahoma. Um, I uh, started reading Harry Potter when I was about 11 years old. And I actually started on the second book uh, before I read the first one. So that was the only one my library had in stock. Um, And I am a Slytherin in Hogwarts and a Thunderbird in uh is it ever wow. morning go yeah. thunderbird yeah exactly. and that means we have a quad today all four houses oh fantastic Excellent. we do that's exciting that all three of you are thunderbirds right because rosie just revealed on the recap which if you haven't listened you should go back and listen to that she's a thunderbird i am indeed fantastic so mm-hmm. i'm the only puck watch on here <laughs> yeah but i'm still not quite sure what can... that means but yeah yeah <laughs> but if we're all different houses in Hogwarts but there are three of us in the same house in Ilsworthy that's just that's yeah that's interesting showing that overlap and the different I'm obsessed with it I love it so much <laughs> yeah um Eric did this great um study and survey and he has a friend from MIT who is um I guess analyzing all the results and that article should come out on MuggleNet in the next day or two so if you're listening to this definitely you know be on the lookout for that it's a uh, it's something like 2500 responses so oh, that wow. should be really wow. interesting yeah. But enough about Elvermorny, I suppose, because <laughs> this week we are t- talking about a totally new topic, uh, one that I am so extremely excited <laughs> about. I've been waiting so long for this because we are talking about my homegirl, Minerva McGonagall. Um, and this, so this week we will be focusing on a specific character and the many things around her, which we will do for a couple of characters moving forward, but will definitely not be the only thing we look at. But that is what we're looking at this week. And we're super excited for it. So I guess we'll take a minute before we move on and thank our Patreon sponsor for this episode, and it is Leah Jister. And thank you, Leah, so much for you know sponsoring us on Patreon and being a huge part of this show. We could not do this thank without you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Leah. And if anyone out there listening wants to be a sponsor of Aloha More, you can do so for as little as $1 a month, and we will continue over the uh, months and years to come, hopefully, to continue and release little exclusive tidbits for our sponsors, and we actually just hit a really great threshold, and we're going to be doing Let's Play of the video game, so that's something really cool and fun to look forward to. So again, thank you, Leah, for sponsoring us on this episode. So for this episode that is focused on McGonagall, um, just like we did for Ilvermorny in our previous episode, we're going to just take a second to mention the overall topics um, and themes that each of us kind of want to focus on as we draw out the discussion around her. Um, So for me, I really want to bring out some of the things that show why she correctly and truly chose Gryffindor and not Ravenclaw in her hat stall. 
And I thought there was this great moment when I was rereading her story about when she and Dumbledore sat down and pretty much revealed their hearts to each other. And I'm really excited to explore that relationship um, a bit further. And for me, it's just the fact that, you know, McGonagall is such an amazingly strong female character. Um, And it's really important that we have these kind of older, important um, female characters in our stories as well, um, rather than just kind of leaving it up to the Hermione Grangers of the world. (laughs) McGonagall is proving that, you know, it was cool to be clever before it was cool. <laughs> to me, she, she represents, I guess, the, uh, the favorite teacher of every student, I would say. Yeah. The, uh, the hard but favorite. Yes. So, yeah. Totally. All right, so we're going to jump into this discussion. And side note, guys, um, so there's like a lot of facts that come pretty early. So I'm going to go through them relatively quickly just so that there's so much. But if you like, want to jump in on something, just feel free to um, if anything sticks out. Okay. So, Minerva McGonagall. We know her primarily in the series as the Transfiguration Professor, the head of Gryffindor House, Deputy Headmistress, the Queen of Sorting, a Watcher of the Dursleys, an Order member, and an Animagus. Um, her wand is nine and a half inches fur and dragon heart string. Um, we've talked about dragon heart string a lot, but really quickly, these are the wands of the most powerful, most power, um, capable of most flamboyant spells. They tend to learn more quickly. They always bond strongly with the current owner. They are the easiest to turn to the dark arts, but not of their own accord. And they are the most prone to accidents, being somewhat temperamental. The last part was interesting because I feel that is totally not Professor McGonagall. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. It's really you could say that about the flamboyancy of the spells as well, but then I guess you yeah. know, if she's an animagus, there must be some kind of flamboyancy to her that would require her to become animals every so often so. i don't know think about that duel she had with snape i mean if we I were there you, you could call that flamboyant yeah so there's this was... hidden side to mcgonagall that we don't often get to see right right mm-hmm. and as for the fur i don't know if we've hit a character that has fur before i'm not gonna try to think on that too long but it's a, a the wands of this wood are called the survivor's wand and this was termed by i don't know rosie help me is it gerbold I think so, yeah. Gerbold. Okay. Gerbold Octavius Ollivander, um, who is, I think, the grandfather or great-grandfather of um, the current Ollivander. And that's because wizards who own it passed through mortal peril unscathed, which is interesting because Minerva passed through both wars without being seriously hurt, um, seriously injured or killed, except for that one instance where she took so many stunners. um, But she came out fine after that. Um, there's no doubt that this wood, coming as it does from the most resil- resilient of trees, produces wands that demand staying power and strength of purpose in their true owners, and that they are poor tools in the hands of the changeable and indecisive. Hmm. Fur wands are particularly suited to, of course, transfiguration, and favor owners of focused, strong-minded, and occasionally intimidating demeanor. Which I thought and that, that just... was perfect. Yeah, yeah they couldn't be more her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think the fur idea is a meant is meant to be kind of a pun? Which creature has fur? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's nice. cute. That's cute. I didn't think about that. I hope. I think so. that's an English teacher so. thing. I've got so mm-hmm. many kids that can't spell fur, or just like yeah, they, yeah. It's it's one of those things. <laughs> that's yeah. cute. It's even got the squiggly line on my like document right now. That <laughs> it's misspelled. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so a couple of 
other things about um, Minerva McGonagall. Well, generally, though, the name Minerva, um, of course, comes from the Roman goddess of wisdom, warriors, courage, strategy, justice, among other things. Um, Minerva was also the goddess of commerce and schools, which would, of course, connect to her being one of the heads and teachers of Hogwarts. The name Minerva generally means wise, and the name McGonagall, specifically the Gonagall part, is from the Celtic name Conigal, meaning the bravest. So it's a nice tie to her Gryffindor roots. And J.K. Rowling's writings on this name I found really funny. Uh, It says, William McGonagall is celebrated as the worst poet in British history. (laughs) There was something irresistible to me about his name and the idea that such a brilliant woman might be a distant relative of the buffoonish McGonagall. I was not familiar with this poet. Is this a thing, Rosie? I have never heard of him before. I'm looking him up right now. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea who he is. (laughs) There's a pretty atrocious poem of his that um, Joe puts on Pottermore. Um, I'm not going to read it all, but you can go on and look. It's it's pretty, like, uninspiring writing, but I don't know how it gets the, the mark of the worst poet in British history. Yeah, Joe, Joe states that he has an unintentional comedic value. So I'm kind of interested to see, um, read more about him, but also not interested at all. So, <laughs> so we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of her hobbies include needlework, correcting articles in Transfiguration Today, watching Quidditch um, as she supports the Montrose Magpies. So... Those are a couple of quick facts. And then getting into her early life. She was born October 4th, 1935 to a muggle father who was named Robert McGonagall, a Presbyterian minister, and a witch mother, Isabel Ross, who was educated at Hogwarts. She was born on the outskirts of Caithness. And I hope I said that right. Caithness and the Scottish Highlands. So Isabel, her mother, graduated top of her class in Charms. And she was also captain of the school Quidditch team. It didn't mention what house she was in. So I'm really interested in that, given that we know um, Minerva was a hat stall. I don't Hmm. think it says anywhere what her mother... um, I don't know if she has enough on... I'm going... I I mean, I I feel like we could assume Ravenclaw, but that might not be necessarily right. I guess I I would guess or assume Ravenclaw because of the hat stall. Um, and also because it says somewhere in the story, and I just read this and I can't remember the exact quote, but that Minerva was like her mother, but also the opposite of her in many ways. So right. that's kind of why I always assumed Ravenclaw for Isabel. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Minerva was named after her immensely talented grandmother, um, maternal grandmother, that is. And she showed small but unmistakable signs of magic from her earliest hours. And notably, one of those being that the family cat did her bidding before she could even talk. So <laughs> there was an instant connection with I cats. I love that. I love how many cats there are in the series, too. I feel like we could do a whole episode on cats in the series. <laughs> no, seriously. Definitely. New topic, go. That's right. No. So... Um, Isabel, her mother, did not tell Robert, her father, that she was magical for quite some time. And this is even after Minerva was born. Um, But she did eventually tell him she couldn't handle it anymore. She felt this is after Isabel had spent so much time feeling so far separated from her magical world. And um, it says that love endured between her parents, but trust had been broken. And Minerva, a 
clever and observant child saw this with sadness. And this, as we will talk about in just a bit, certainly affected the way she handled things later in her life. And Pottermore briefly mentions that she has two younger brothers, uh, Robert Jr. and Robert Jr. and Malcolm, who we don't know much about, um, unless I'm forgetting something. But I feel like that they're just briefly mentioned in that Pottermore um, story. Yeah, I had totally forgot that she had two brothers. I wasn't even aware of it. Wholeheartedly, yep, totally forgot. Yeah, so very um, little on the rest of her family, um, other than that short bit on her parents. But um, Minerva, of course, attended Hogwarts approximately from 1947 to 1954. And as we mentioned earlier, she was a hat stall between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, which is interesting because um, Phileas Flitwick was also a hat stall. And he, of course, chose Ravenclaw. And it became something of a joke that the two carried on um, in their uh, friendship that carried on years later. I, I had hoped that whenever they talked about this, it would have talked a little bit more about how rare the hat stalls were and how, like, many around then happened. And we don't know. We know it's a rare thing. But for McGonagall and Flitwick to have it, they're relatively close in age, I would think, and seems like a pretty close proximity. But it is interesting that we didn't know about the hat stall until after the series of course we didn't know until the Pottermore so I was kind of curious what people thought of that um reading the series if it was ever this like idea like man she she easily could have fit in Ravenclaw I worry that it's another one of those things that has been created since the actual stories and it's just it, it's making people who have been hatstalls on the quiz on Pottermore feel accepted because oh there were these characters who are in the stories who were those things as well um hmm. but if it is an actual thing and if it is something that joe decided that she actually wanted for these characters um i guess it really shows that both of these characters value both kind of intellect and kind of bravery and passing that idea on and all that kind of stuff so really if you wanted anyone to be a teacher, it's going to be a hat stall between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, um, because they are probably going to be the best at teaching. They value intellect, but also value the the kind of loyalty and all the kind of bravery and all of those different aspects that would make um, someone really kind of work for you as a student um, and represent your best interest. Do um, we see so them into? Do we see them interact too many times in the series? I'm trying to remember if they generally kind of agree with each other and think the same way, or if they have butt heads and anything that we've seen. Does anyone remember? Yeah, they don't ever fight. Yeah, I was rereading earlier the the conversation they have after Dumbledore dies. Um, uh, McGonagall is pretty much soliciting opinions from everyone about what they should do. Flitwick says, suggests they can, should consult the governors, and that's eventually what she goes with um, because they can't really reach a consensus. Um, so she does go with his opinion on that. Hmm. Okay. I always felt that Hadstall's uh, could have easily fit in in the story, uh, you know, to be brought up. But uh, I, just, I just don't think either she just didn't have a name for it yet, maybe, or, uh, or what, because I can easily see it being fit into the story, but. I, I would have figured if those became those were actually a thing, we would have heard about it, especially during the sorting ceremonies. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I also wondered if, given 
she had this um, interaction with the hat, the sorting hat that many other students would never have in this actual decision. If she ever, similarly to Harry, put the hat back on to have a conversation later in life. Hmm. That would be interesting. I don't know. I don't feel like she's a person who doubts herself very often. That's fair. Yeah. Especially if it was her choice as well to go with Gryffindor, then I, I feel that, yeah, she would have been confident yeah. in that decision. Yeah, Harry's doubts were based on very different things, and yeah. hers, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. wasn't really faced with that. Um, but at school, she was the most outstanding student of the year. She was, had a particular talent for transfiguration, who, and she was taught by, of course, Dumbledore, and he helped her become a registered animagus. She overlapped at school with Pomona Sprout, who would um, become a colleague of hers later at Hogwarts, and they became friends at school. She inherited both her mother's talents and her father's cast iron moral sense. She had top grades in her OWLs and NEWTs. She was prefect, head girl, and winner of Transfiguration Today Most Promising Newcomer Award. <laughs> Award. It says, like her mother, she was a gifted Quidditch player, although a nasty fall in her final year which came from a foul during the Gryffindor versus Slytherin match, which would decide the cup winner, left her with concussion, several broken ribs, and a lifelong desire to see Slytherin crushed on the Quidditch pitch. (laughs) (laughs) So it's good to get that backstory. We see, as the series progresses, her um, love and passion for Gryffindor Quidditch come out, but to know that there's this story in the background is great. Mm -hmm. It feeds into the backstory of Slytherin, too, which I think is really wonderful. Good right. comparison yeah. for her. Yeah. Right. I yeah, because... Thought... Sorry. Go, go ahead, Rosie. Um, there is the a clip from the Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone film, um, the, the moment where Hermione goes to show Harry um, James's uh, shield, saying that he was Seeker. Um, mm. And there's, there's that moment where it's got McGonagall's name written next to him as um, a chaser. And everyone's kind of always gone... Oh, Minerva wasn't at school at the same time, that kind of thing. But it just says M. McGonagall. And we know that she has a younger brother called Malcolm. Was Malcolm at school oh. at the same time? Oh! Snap. That'd be, well, okay, Could that so be the explanation? <laughs> maybe. Mag- I mean, he would have to be significantly younger. Yeah. It happens. If Robert was in the middle, maybe. Well, what, wait. Oh, let's go back. What's it say about the brothers? It just says that they're younger. It doesn't say how much younger, right? Yeah, I'm it trying to remember. Younger. Let's see. This So they had the children, the two boys, after um, Robert re- um, Robert revealed to, um, or excuse me, the, when Minerva's mom told, when Isabel told Robert that they were, that she was magical. Then it just says, two more children, both sons were born to the McGonagalls, and both in due course revealed magical ability, dot, dot, dot. Um, Minerva aided her mother in concealing from their father the accidents and embarrassments their magic sometimes caused. So she was old enough to, like, help. Mm-hmm. But I don't see it as... Um... And that was before she got her letter, right? So she was yeah, under so, 11. Okay. Yeah, she was <clears throat> under 11. So I don't think this could be... No, probably Malcolm. not. Bummer. Just although Malcolm had a son. <laughs> I do like I it. I think that's anyway, wonderful. So it's never really perfect, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, right. maybe Malcolm had a son. Yeah, maybe. or maybe that plaque isn't like for the year. Maybe it's just a best of the best. <laughs> oh yeah, that could you be. know, who knows? That could be it. 
All right. Well, after Hogwarts, um, poor Minerva ran into a rough patch. And this was probably, I think, probably the most interesting part of her story when it was revealed on Pottermore. And it's been, what, a couple of years since this has been revealed? Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting to think how far back that was. But similar to her mother, she fell in love with a muggle boy by the name of Dougal McGregor, who was the handsome, clever, and funny son of a local farmer. He, it says that the two of them shared a sense of humor, argued fiercely, and suspected mysterious depths in each other. Before either of them knew it, Dougal was on one knee in a plowed field, proposing, and Minerva was accepting him. And um, she prepared to go tell her parents about um, her engagement. However, as she did so, she really came to terms with... Um, realizing that she was following her mother in a very similar way. And she grew up, as we alluded to earlier, watching her mother um, be separated from the magical world that she loved so much. And it really affected her mom in a really terrible way. And Minerva didn't want the same to happen to her. She didn't want to mirror her mother's hardship and difficulty going forward. And for herself, she saw the end of all of her ambitions if she followed through with this marriage. And it would mean a wand locked away and children taught to lie, perhaps even to their own father, which of course is what happened to her parents. So sadly, Minerva told Dougal that she changed her mind. And even more sadly, she couldn't even tell him why she changed her mind because of the International Statute of Secrecy. Secrecy. Later, she realized, she learned that Dougal married um, the daughter of another farmer, which that'll come up in, in a bit when she gets to Hogwarts. But we see McGonagall throw, go through the books, and she is just a single, fierce, unwavering woman. Um, and we never we see that she never needs a man in the series, and that's what makes her so, so strong. She doesn't need the companionship of anyone, but to see the story in the background of someone she truly was in love with and someone who was so different from her was just so revealing for me. And I think it's a, you pointed out before, you know, moments where she's true Gryffindor. And I feel like this is one of them because that is an intensely brave thing to do to Mm -hmm. really take yourself into account and realize that that is not the life that you want for yourself, the person you love, any potential children, the two of you may have. And it might seem selfish to some people, and I mean, I think maybe it's 2%, but I feel like she's saving a life of sadness for many people and not just for herself. And I think that's really brave, personally. Is telling your spouse that you're a witch or a wizard breaking the international statute of secrecy? So my guess is is that if you marry someone, then that creates um, an exception to the statute okay. of secrecy. Right, like they're they in the bubble. Just have to swear. Yeah, they would have to swear by it as well. Right. Because I mean, uh-huh. Ted Tonks knows. So. Oh, okay, that's true. Right. Huh. But yeah, I agree. I think this this shows a, a really different side of her Gryffindor nature, um, and I think these are the kinds of moments where she shows us that it is perfectly okay and even desirable to be selfish in this way because you have to think of yourself and you know if she was a different person and other people would make a different choice because they weren't as concerned about their ambition or what they could accomplish that's perfectly fine too but the point was that she knew exactly what she wanted and she made a pretty big sacrifice for it yeah and she wasn't afraid to let go of something that she loved in hopes of maybe finding something um that wouldn't force her to live a lie right which and it's i so think is great to see your character. Yeah being presented in that way like Mm -hmm. 
that they are allowed to make that choice and that to be considered a good thing. I mean, sure, like she is shown to have kind of suffered from that decision because she she never kind of got the the true love story that she wanted. Um, but it was her choice, and it was it allowed her to do so many other great things. That um, mm-hmm. it is still such an amazing strength and um, such an amazing character choice that we never get to see in kind of any kind of literature story. Um, romance always seems to be the kind of be all and end all in these stories, and to see someone reject it is actually really quite a refreshing thing to see. Do you think there's ever been a moment in her life where she's regretted that decision? Well, from the rest of the information that we know about that story, and you know, it doesn't end with her saying no. I, w- I would say she doesn't regret it, but she misses it. Yeah, definitely. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. She sure. carries it with her for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later. But I, I almost I feel like this kind of this. Uh, this part of her story influences how she feels about leaving Harry with the Dursleys. Mm. For sure. Yeah. 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 Cause Harry will be living the life that is a lie. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Separated mm-hmm. from magic, the world he's supposed to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, after, um, backing out of the engagement, uh, Minerva went to work at the ministry of magic at which she worked for two years in the department of magical law enforcement. Um, she thrived there, no surprise. She was very successful. Um, but she did not like the atmosphere that she was in. And many of her co-workers at the time carried an anti-mogul bias that she was very unfond of. And at the end of those two years, she was offered a promotion. It doesn't say what, um, but I'm sure she was moving up through the ranks to be the close to the head of the department. Um, but she turned it down. And at that time, she sent an owl to Hogwarts asking for a teaching position, and that is when Dumbledore offered her the job. And then she transitioned into Hogwarts, um, which, of course, is how we know her as the Professor of Transfiguration. Um, but when she was at Hogwarts, she um, found this is when she found out that Dougal was married, which I briefly mentioned earlier, and this devastated her. And um, Dumbledore is the one who consoled her. And um, it says that he told her of his own family's troubled past. And this began a very close and genuine bond between the two. And I know this is one of the things that you wanted to focus on, Kat. So if you want to have thoughts to expand on it. Yeah, I just really wanted to explore that conversation since we don't get to see it. And I'm interested in coming up with, you know, some ideas on exactly how much they shared with each other, because they really do have an incredible bond and trust each other. I feel like there's a level of trust there that we don't really see too many other times in the series. And I'm really interested in that discussion. What do you how much do you guys think they told each other? I'm, I mean, was Albus 100% totally and completely honest? Did he tell her that he was gay? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if he's really ever completely 100% honest mm-hmm. with that kind well, that's, of... I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, yeah. I, I feel like to have that bond, wouldn't you need that transparency? I, I don't know. See, I don't think that would be the big secret that he would be keeping. I'm, I'm sure that he would have told her that he was gay. I think the thing that he that would have gained her ultimate trust and would have been his biggest secret was the one thing that he had, you know, when he was drinking that potion in that cave, it was the, mm, yeah, the not knowing whether or not he was the one responsible for killing his sister. That would be the massive secret that 
I do think he would have told her in that story. I think this this idea of keeping secrets and having someone in your family locked away and and not being able to bring them into the wizarding world and keeping them apart, that is the big kind of bridge between these two characters and the backstory that connects the two of them. And that would be what Dumbledore would try to console her with and and say, you know, um, it was the right choice not to to lock yourself into that situation because look what happened to me and my family when this this situation was locked away. Um, it's his ultimate shame, and I, I do think I, I would believe that he would have told her in that conversation, and that is why they both have that much of a close bond. Yeah, there is that commonality between them, I guess, which, which I kind of like how that comes out in kind of the ancillary information, because I feel like if we knew more about this, I mean, obviously this doesn't all fit into the series, but if there were even hints of it, I feel like it may have detracted from kind of the other relationships that she has with the other characters and that Dumbledore has with the other characters too. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not sure. I, I also, I, I agree, Rosie. I think most people who are close to Dumbledore probably knew he was gay, but only a couple of people um, really got this this story and i'm wondering yeah. other than um is it who do we know has it um is the character that harry meets um why is his name slipping my mind that at the, at the wedding doge elpheus dodge elpheus doge, doge, right. yeah yeah um and um mcgonagall i wonder outside of the family how many people actually know the bulk of this story well i guess um pre-rita skater book yeah yeah pre-rita skater book, right. <laughs> right hmm I Even wonder... Doge didn't really know the true story. He knew that's true the sanitized version. So I think you would have yeah. to be incredibly close to Dumbledore. And yeah, right. not many people got there yeah. to know it. Somehow Mathilda knew enough. Well, I guess she. I don't know if she knew like from Grindelwald later, or she just picked up on it, or what. But she knew enough to tell Rita oh, some version of the story. Well, wasn't she friends with Kendra? Isn't that what it yeah. was? Yeah, I thought they yeah. lived right next to each other, didn't they? Right. But Kendra oh, was right. dead by the time that Ariana was killed wasn't she am i getting that wrong i yeah i think that's right i think yeah. so but Kendra i feel like died, she would so that's why i was had to look after ariana right. and that's when the fight happened yeah right. right but she would at least still know about the family and their, yeah she would have known about struggles kendra and, and ariana being locked away so yeah she would have had that part of the story thanks yeah so i guess my bigger my actual question would be there are very few people Dumbledore would actually personally share this story with. Yeah. And she's yeah. one, on probably one hand, if you counted, of people he would tell this to. And if that yeah. was the case, you can just imagine how um, how distraught, how devastated Minerva must have been for him to have felt the need mm-hmm. to divulge that information in this conversation. The only The only way of showing that empathy and showing how much he feels her pain is by showing that ultimate pain that would have been that situation. So, yeah, it would have been proving kind of how much Dougal meant to Minerva. Right. And so, I mean, and I know we're not talking about him, that that also humanizes Dumbledore a little bit, at least Definitely. in our eyes, because I know we've talked about him so many times being kind of the, the puppet master. And I like thinking about the fact that he really opens himself up to McGonagall and that she does the same and that they have kind of this hardened outer shell but right. as we know, we're just really kind of internal softies, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. I love and it. It's, it's interesting that, that they were able to get to that point because 
keep in mind Minerva was his student too. So right. for that kind of relationship to progress, like having taught students, and I'm sure, you know, Rosie, you can, you can um, probably feel similarly. There are students you get close with, and there's some, some of my former students that I still like keep in touch with, but <laughs> so for it to get to this point, that's pretty pronounced and yeah. incredible for it to get to that level. But equally, I think once you become colleagues with people that have teach that have taught you, it, there is a difference there as well. I've I've worked with some of my old teachers, yeah. and it's it feels awkward at first, but you do actually become friends with them. So it's That's yeah, I, it would it would develop a bit more. Right. And I wonder too if it has something to do with the fact that being a quote middle aged wizard lasts for like eighty years <laughs> <laughs> because wizard, yeah. you know, so you have you end up having significantly more things in common as you get you know to that part of you know, that giant middle part of your life. Yeah. yeah Especially true. if you're Dumbledore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. So then exploring this relationship further, McGonagall did not know about Horcruxes. So that was something that he kept from her. Do you think that there, they had any other real secrets between them? Hmm. I don't think she would, have, I can't, well, any, she, we don't know of any secrets of hers that she would have kept from him. Right. But as far as him... I wonder if they, like, celebrated holidays together and stuff. I don't know. I just think that's an adorable picture in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we do get that scene of them when they stay for Christmas, right? When Harry stays right. at Hogwarts and they have that little... Yeah. I guess I mean outside yeah, of Christmas. Oh, like, right. Like, does Dumbledore meet her brothers? You know? So, things like that. Curious. Not sure. <laughs> I just have a question here. Do we ever know how she found out that Dougal was married? We don't know how she found out, I mean, um, which is interesting. Did she like, no, go and visit no, wait. him? Wait, doesn't it say that her mother is chatting about like happenings oh, in the town? Oh, that is right. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, nevertheless, it was a shock to learn from the oblivious Isabel in the middle of a chatty letter of local news that Dougal go. had married the daughter of another farmer. Yeah. The fact that her mother could be that oblivious as well is so sad. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, because her mother's. I mean, it's in. It's insinuated that she's pretty smart. But yeah. then again, her parents didn't know that she was engaged. Oh, right? that's true. She, she had, never did yeah. tell them. That is true. Well, while at Hogwarts, um, she kept in touch with her old boss at the Ministry by a, guy, a book by the name of Elphinstone Urquhart. Urquhart, very strange name. Urquhart. <laughs> All right. Well, he proposed to her. Uh, Minerva turned him down. Many times, but um, <laughs> after she learned of Dougal's death, which I guess we can assume was an early death, um, she felt freed from the pain of that, and she married Mr. Elphinstone, and the two bought a nice cottage in Hogsmeade, which is just like such a nice life to imagine for her. Well, wait, let's see. So uh, this was during her early years at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. When did she start working there? Um, let's see if we can get a year. Probably 60s or 70s. Okay, so, yeah, I, I was just thinking about when Dougal may have died. He might have been 50 or 60 at that yeah. point, because she was born in the early 1900s, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, she, went, so she went to Hogwarts 1947 no. to 1954, which meant that she must have been 11 in 1947. Yeah, so it says okay. that she started Hogwarts in 1956, about, yeah. Just trying to timeline in my yeah. head, you know? It would have been an early death, I think, for Dougal. Yeah, for sure. Definitely right. sounds like it. <clears throat> and the Pottermore uh, 
story on her specifically says, as a feminist, um, that she was known as quite the feminist, Minerva kept her own last name, which I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But tragically, Elphinstone died of a venomous tentacula bite, after which um, Minerva permanently moved to Hogwarts. She couldn't stay behind in the cottage that they shared together. They never had children, but um, it's said that she was pretty close with her nephews and nieces who visited them. Um, so I wonder if she kept in touch with them after, but it doesn't really say. I hope so. Yeah. Hope so. Um, it says that always a very brave and private person, she poured all her energies into her work. And few people, excepting perhaps Albus Dumbledore, ever realized how much she suffered which just breaks my heart so much it's It's so sad sad story (laughs) yeah so because i thought that the passage was interesting because if you're thinking of someone who's pouring themselves into their work is so dedicated to this like life of academia and teaching that's sort of bordering on her ravenclaw proclivities but when you put the spin on it that um it was just something that took so much of her it was like such a um, a, a movement of strength for her. I think that again really displays her Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And that pretty much sums up um, everything that about um, Minerva McGonagall's life leading up to when we first opened the Harry Potter series. So there was definitely a full life there, and it's that's why this Pottermore. Um, reading was so revealing whenever we got it because she's Mm. such a prominent character the whole time, but we know next to nothing about her life Mm -hmm. prior to Harry coming into it. And it's just, it makes, well, one, it makes you wonder about all these other characters we don't know that much about, but it just puts so much meat to who she is as a woman, who she is as a person, a teacher and everything. Yeah. Why she does everything she does character as well. Like we love, we, we know her as our head of house basically because we have seen the books through Harry's eyes. So to then find out all of this tragic backstory is just, it's heartbreaking for a character that we we feel so much for anyway. Right. Poor Minerva. (laughs) Yeah. And I think just the thing for me is, and I, you, you, this is the thing that you wanted to focus on a lot, Rosie, I know is they're going through the series. Um, Harry is obviously like our main character and the the female character we see the most is Hermione. Um, the female adult we probably see the most that we get the most from is possibly Molly um, as yeah. far as more than just, you know, like the facts of a person, but actually like who they are as a person. Maybe Tonks later in the series. Um, but this really just shows how... I, I just really appreciate that Joe gave so much to who a, a female character who's so present in the series and is just like so accomplished, but has also been through so many struggles in life. It just really developed well. Definitely. I think we see so many different um, kind of facets of the mother character in Harry Potter as well. Like, like you said, with Molly, um, we, we see the new mother aspect with Tonks. We see, you know, Lily obviously as the ultimate sacrifice of a mother giving her life for her son. Um, even kind of Petunia and, and Dudley, we see that element and, you know, Narcissa and Draco and all of these different families. So to have a character like McGonagall, who is presented as such a strong woman, such an intelligent woman, such a um, academic woman, to have her backstory be this tragic and, you know, the ultimate kind of idea of 
she she didn't get her first love. She did have a chance at a second love, but that failed too. And um, you know, we, the this whole kind of summing up, summing it up as they never had children kind of thing is it feels kind of reductive um, to 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 say that okay, so she didn't succeed in that part of her life. Mm, yeah. I, I don't like kind of focusing on on that issue because there there is so much that she did achieve. And there is so much that she has managed that. Yes, it was a tragic story, but look what she has done with her life. And she's she is the mother that Harry grows up with. Because other than um, Petunia and, you know, Molly when he is with the Weasleys, McGonagall is the mother figure. It is the person that he goes to and, and the person that the rest of the boys go to when they are hurt or sick. Um, you know, when he's having the bad dreams, they go and call McGonagall. When they're in trouble, they get punished by McGonagall. Like, she is the head of house mother figure. And I think, I I really do feel that um, she feels like she has an element of Harry's mother in her, in, in some of the interactions that we see. Some of the ways that she kind of um, looks at him and tells him off and all that kind of thing. It's probably partly movie canon as well, because that's just so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there definitely seems to be a kind of a, a mothering maternal aspect of the relationship between her and Harry that I love. <laughs> definitely. All right, so we can move into um, looking at some of the moments we see her throughout the series. Of course, the first um, she's the first magical character I guess we see in the series, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm, other than a few kind of wi- wizards that um, Vernon sees on his way to work, she is right. the, the main one. Yeah. Right. So um, she's there watching the Dursleys all day. She's not a big fan. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't. She thinks they're some of the worst type of muggles. Um, so she's there to meet up with Dumbledore to drop off Harry that night. And um, we already talked about her relationship with Dumbledore a lot more. But this is a point where they don't agree that this is the right thing to do. Um, McGonagall doesn't really have an alternative. So it was two things I was thinking of here. Is you know what else could she have done um and to explore this sort of i won't call it a disagreement because they didn't argue but just differing ideas of what needed to be done which leads to my second question did mcgonagall even know about the love protection because if she did it seems like she would have been more okay with this i don't think she knew yeah that's what i kind me of neither i don't see how dumbledore could have shared that with her as much you know it's not really his information to tell. Right. So to say. And he may have not been completely sure about that at the time either. Right. That's true. Like it, it literally just happened. How mm-hmm. would he have known that it like that he would have managed to survive because of that one particular right. thing? So he right. may have not wanted to share it totally yet. Maybe he did later. Um but then we eventually meet her as Harry's very strict hard transfiguration professor and head of house but shortly within his time in his first year his fierce quidditch supporter um and one of the first quotes we get from her in the classroom is transfiguration as some of the most complex and dangerous magic you will learn at hogwarts anyone messing around in my class will leave (laughs) (laughs) uh which is kind of the tone i always taught whatever i was teaching high school (laughs) tried to like it was not um transfiguration obviously but um when you talked about um, this earlier, Cody, it made me think of like 
this is so true about the ideal teacher who's the hard, strict, make sure you're going to get this down, but the ones that um, you truly become close with and love the most. Exactly. Um, and then the, one of the her bigger displays of magic, even though she isn't present when it happens, is in the Philosopher's Stone as um, the game maker of the chess game that's protecting the uh, Philosopher's Stone. And I hadn't really thought about this before, but I thought about this today, how there's an interesting contrast of McGonagall being the game maker of the chess and Ron being the solver of McGonagall's puzzle. These are two characters that are um, kind of different in a lot of ways. Both Gryffindors, obviously, but Ron is very like loose and all over the place, and that drives McGonagall crazy in a couple of scenes. Um, like when they show up late, his dancing, um, which we see a little bit more in the movie than the book. But um, I thought that was an interesting contrast that Joe picked. I don't know if she did it intentionally. Ron's the chess es- expert, so... Maybe he had to do that. There's an interesting parallel between McGonagall and Hermione that runs all the way through the books. So, sure. for yeah, for that kind of pairing between Ron and McGonagall is interesting. Just as a, you know, if if they're being kind of paired off as equals or as opposites, then his later relationship with Hermione is is kind of reflected in each of the challenges that he approaches with McGonagall mm-hmm. with the chess set. You know, he, he's proving himself, he's being brave, he's being the knight. With the dancing, he's learning to dance with McGonagall because he can't learn to dance with Hermione. It's, yeah, it's, there's, there's interesting little mirrors throughout the series with, with the arguments that they have. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we didn't, I didn't really mention this, but it is interesting that she followed um, Dumbledore in teaching the same class that he taught. So that's just another element to their long relationship following even in the same subject. Yeah. Um, so another one of my favorite um, points where we really get to see McGonagall come alive is in Order of the Phoenix when she is kind of the last line of defense against Umbridge in so many ways <laughs> um, with all of these um, new rules and everything coming in. And one of my favorite scenes is when Harry is in his career advising Mm -hmm. um, session with McGonagall talking about becoming an hour. And um, I don't know why I said it like that. An hour. (laughs) That's like a weird way to say it. Um, But I'm just going to quickly read this because I love this passage. Um, And this is first Umbridge talking after she keeps trying to chime in to say that Harry has not done a good job in Defense Against the Dark Arts. And she says, Potter has no chance whatsoever of becoming an R. Professor McGonagall got to her feet, and in this, in her case, this was a much more impressive move. She towered over Professor Umbridge. Potter, she said in, a, in ringing tones, I will assist you to become an R if it is the last thing I do. If I have to coach you nightly, I will make sure you achieve the required results. Hmm. This is one of the first moments we really see, um, you know, we mentioned briefly that McGonagall is sort of this motherly figure for Harry, but really coming to his defense in front of him, even. Do you think that's more to do with her relationship with Harry or her relationship with Umbridge? Well, that was my next question. (laughs) Yeah, if if she would have been as fierce with any of her Gryffindor students in front of Umbridge, I would say that she, she would, you know, come to the defense. But I wonder if it was a little bit more for Harry. I would say probably it's a hmm. 50-50 on that, really. Just the overall environment that that, that uh, 
uh, that, that she had that conversation in. Yeah. The yeah. two of them together are kind of the perfect storm of the Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that the passion and kind of the venom behind her words um, is wholeheartedly directed and in direct response to Umbridge. But I feel like her reasoning and why she wants to do it is because she actually really does believe in Harry, even though it seems as though this is mostly out of spite for McGonagall. I mean, for Umbridge, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about that scene is Harry leaves, and then the two of them, McGonagall and Umbridge, are still shouting and arguing with one another. I really would have liked <laughs> to see how that ended and how they both walked out alive. <laughs> Right. Oh, man. That'd be quite the duel, actually, because as much as I hate Umbridge, she's obviously talented. Yeah, she's so. a capable witch. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she has one really great moment that I love in um, Half-Blood Prince, and this means even more, I think, knowing what she's been through in her life. And this is um, after... They have learned um, that Dumbledore is dead. Um, and when, well, I should rewind a little bit. When Harry first tells her, um, I should have had this passage up too. I don't have it in front of me. But um, What are you looking Harry, for? I can look it up. When Harry first tells McGonagall that um, Dumbledore is dead, the text in it is really good. Um, it says something about McGonagall wavered. Um, and she's like such a rigid, firm, um, put together person. And this obviously just completely rips the ground out from beneath her. Um, Snape killed Dumbledore, said Harry. She stared at him for a moment, then swayed alarmingly. Madame Pomfrey, who seemed to have pulled herself together, ran forward, conjuring a chair from thin air, which she pushed under McGonagall. And this is where she starts to doubt Snape. So, Snape, repeated McGonagall faintly, falling into the chair. We all wondered, but he trusted. Always. Snape? I can't believe it. So this made me wonder what kind of relationship um, Snape and McGonagall even had. Oh, not a very good one. No, I wouldn't yeah. imagine so. Because we see, of course, the scene in Deathly Hallows where the two of them duel. Quite an impressive duel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how much of that is just bent on her, like... Of her like rage in that moment is just because she knows that Snape killed Dumbledore. Um, but if there was anything in the background, if she like just what she thought of him in general, maybe she wasn't that crazy about him, but she seems in this moment to have trusted Dumbledore, um, Dumbledore's trust of Snape. I think she would have known Snape had been involved in the first war. I think she knows kind of the all of the reasons why everyone doesn't like Snape and the only reason why she accepted him and and tolerated him and worked alongside him without any fuss was because of Dumbledore. Um, Yeah. I think she would have challenged him if Dumbledore hadn't said it was fine for him to work there. Um, So yeah, I think she would never have expected Dumbledore to be wrong about Snape. Um, And of course we know that he, he technically wasn't and that, Right. Um, it was all Dumbledore's choice and all that kind of stuff. Um, which, again, makes me not really like Dumbledore because if their relationship was that close, why would you not prepare Minerva for the end if you knew that you were going to be dead within the year? Because right. you know yeah. that she would have tried to stop him. Yeah. She's but, that type of person. Yeah. I mean, there's no way she would have just let him do that. There's no way. Yeah. 
And it seems like she never really got everything about this from even talking to his portrait because of the conversations she and Harry have toward the end of Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Um, she, at this point, she's just going on whatever Harry says. Um, she's just doing everything she can to help him, but she doesn't seem to be in the know of the background of everything that's happened. So it's interesting yeah. she wasn't able to... Because presumably, if Dumbledore wanted to, she could have gotten that information from his portrait. Um, I'm going to assume she could have, but she's not able to for some reason. Oh, you know, Dumbledore could have left her a letter or something. Yeah. Just anything useful would have been good there, Dumbledore. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, she she only tolerated Snape because Dumbledore told her to. Um, so she, yeah, she hated him when he was Quidditch stuff. She hated him for always kind of rubbing it in her face with house stuff. They were definitely rivals and, and not particularly friendly ones. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Uh, I think so. I think so at first. I wonder, do you think Harry talked to her after the fact? Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm, she would have asked Dumbledore's portrait more specific questions and things probably then as well. Yeah. That's true. So, That's true for sure. She may have kind of felt off about it, but I don't think she would have rejected it ultimately. Um, she would have come to terms with it, basically. Right. So there's another quote in that same section. Um, after they've learned Dumbledore's dead, and I think, um, as I started to mention earlier, her background makes this a lot more meaningful. And this is when, I believe it's Molly is kind of ch- chastising Lupin for um, not accepting Tonks' love. And Lupin says, This is not the moment to discuss it, said Lupin, avoiding everybody's eyes as he looked around distractedly. Dumbledore is dead. Dumbledore would have been happier than anybody to think that there was a little more love in the world, said Prof- Professor McGonagall curtly, just as the hospital doors opened again and Hagrid walked in. So the quote, I think, yes, speaks to Dumbledore. But I think the fact that Joe wrote that she said it curtly, um, it's almost mm-hmm. like there's a little pain in her voice as she says it. Mm-hmm. I wonder who she's mad at. I mean, if it's completely directed at Snape or if in this moment she's... I mean, she's probably a little upset with Dumbledore, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would be. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And probably Lupin as well, and the idea of abandoning children. She doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Um, so then we roll into Deathly Hallows, where otherwise um, McGonagall would be the new headmistress, um, I guess assuming the ministry's blessing, but that is dismantled by the takeover by the Death Eaters. Um, and we know Snape returns as headmaster, I mean, she, along with the other Hogwarts professors, remain to protect the students. And she pretty much is the leader of that defense to try to hold Hogwarts together as the Death Eaters terrorize the students. And we, of course, don't see a lot of that because Harry and Ron and Hermione are not at school. But we see her leading the defense of Hogwarts in the battle when everyone comes together and it wasn't until I reread some of these um, scenes where I really realized that McGonagall is the commander of this Hogwarts battle 
Mm -hmm. um, there's this really great line. Um, let's see. The enchanted ceiling of the great hall was dark and scattered with stars, and below it the four long house tables were lined with dis disheveled students, some in traveling cloaks, others in dressing gowns. Here and there shone the, pearl the pearly white figures of the school ghosts. Every eye, living and dead, was fixed upon Professor McGonagall, who was speaking from the race platform at the top of the hall. I just, this moment, I've never really read this passage this way, but it struck me that it's just like all eyes are turned to her. She is the leader. She's this warlord that has to um, hold down the defense lines. It's whatever she says. That's what we're going with. She is the matriarch of Hogwarts. Yep. Well, I mean, just think about it. You know, I mean, Voldemort and his followers have come to take her home, her friends, her family, everything away from her. And she's got protected and she does so well. She's had so much hardship in her life that she's not going to let this one go. Exactly. Indeed. Mm -hmm. So much respect for McGonagall. <laughs> I know. And so much. <laughs> so I thought that we earlier we talked about how um, her Quidditch playing days as a student really um, firmly rooted her um, rivalry, in some ways animosity towards Slytherin House. Um, and that almost comes out in this one scene where they are getting ready for the battle to amp up and she's talking to this students and professors and specifically to professor slughorn and she says i shall expect you and the slytherins in the great hall in 20 minutes also said professor mcgonagall if you wish to leave with your students we shall not stop you but if any of you attempt to sabotage our resistance or take up arms against us within this castle then horace we duel to kill minerva he said aghast the time has come for slytherin house to decide upon its loyalties interrupted professor mcgonagall go and wake your students horace I mean, she is not playing around at this point. <laughs> mm -mm. So, Cody, as a Slytherin, I was kind of curious to see how you respond to um, her being very terse and to the point with um, Slughorn and Slytherins here. I mean, it's come down to the wire at this moment, you know? Like, they need to decide. And, yeah, I mean, she's rightfully... She has the right idea with that. Um, although I feel, to be fair, I think J.K. Rowling, uh, she... Uh, she didn't represent, or not represent, but uh, the Slytherins in the story are kind of just kind of generic bad guys, or the not good, so good people. <laughs> and yeah, then later, fair, after the, I think that's a fair critique. After <laughs> the books were published, she's kind of tracked that back a little bit because she realizes that there are a lot of people who kind of identify with that a little bit. Um, right. But yeah, no, McGonagall has the right idea. I mean, they're in trouble, and they need to decide what they're who they're going to stand with. It's interesting that she would go that strongly against Horace as well, because I, I do think that Slughorn would always stand with the school. I don't think he would skip out of there in this ultimate battle. We've seen him hide as sofas and all that kind of stuff earlier on, um, but by this point of the books and by, you know, he, he stayed at Hogwarts without Dumbledore there to protect him, so he must feel some loyalty to the school and to the students and to the staff there. Um, mm -hmm. So for her to kind of thinly threaten him in this way um, is interesting. Like she she doesn't consider him to be one of the staff members that she can trust and rely upon. Um, right, and I think this kind of for me it, it even more shows that she is just in this like war, kill or be killed 
yeah. and really for mm-hmm. me, ultimate Gryffindor mindset. Um, sure. And I don't say that ever to take away from people who are in other houses who would also be very like focused and like strong in battle. But like, this is just, she's like so focused on like, this is, we're going to get this done. And you know, you're, you're with us or against us. She's a fierce protector. It, and that comes out, I think. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Definitely. For sure. I think it's also the moment where we really realize how serious this war is. Because mm. McGonagall, who is always the one that is the stickler for rules, the stickler for the fact that we are in school and that you will be at lessons in time, you will not go out after lights out, you will not kind of break any of the school rules. For her to then become, yes, we may still be in the school, but if you get in our way, we will kill you. That shows you that, okay, we're not at school anymore. This is now war. Um, right. And it's ultimately her her choice of words in this particular moment that shows, okay, the fight has begun. Mm-hmm. Right. Which and thank cool. goodness, because they needed a leader. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. And she, I feel like she's the perfect, perfect person to do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. She's the, the Khaleesi only of Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, and one of the most, she's showing like you mentioned rosie she's coming down from this like rules only um she's showing more of her emotions and getting into this and this really comes to a head whenever um they the hogwarts army sees hagrid coming back from the forest carrying what they believe is harry's lifeless body um and harry i'm not going to read this but um all but harry is just waiting for the screams to come stealing himself to not react to it because you know it's going to be bad um, but as he's as they approach, there's a there's a scream of no, and Harry thinks the scream was more terrible because he had never expected or dreamed that Professor McGonagall could make such a sound. So mm. one that like line is just like such beautiful writing, like it just like makes me so emotional every time mm-hmm. I read it. It's just like such good writing. But um, beyond that, it just really shows this like progression of what has happened for Harry and McGonagall's relationship and how much she really thought of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, she definitely cared for him quite a bit. I mean, you know, almost, you know, I'm sure as a, a son in a way. Mm. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. And I was thinking about her past and how much she's lost and how much she has, I don't want to say given up, but, um, let go of for, um, for lack of better words, the greater good, and for really helping, you know, the the success of everything that has happened. And I feel like for her, this would be the ultimate kind of terrible thing that could happen. It's not about her dying or about, you know, anybody else, really. It's, it's 100% about Harry. And I think that that reaction wholeheartedly, uh, you know, proves that. Mm-hmm. Do you think right. that she thought Harry was the chosen one? Yes. Yeah. I mean, mm, the, the, I don't. Do you, would have said, I right? Think. But do you think that she believes in that? Is the question? I think she believes that Voldemort would think it, and therefore Harry needs to be protected. And if anyone's going to finish this fight, it's going to be Harry because of everything that's going on. Well, I think logically it would make sense for Harry to be the one that needed to defeat Voldemort in that situation. Yeah. I'm going to temper what I said originally because I think that's where she is by the end, Rosie. I do agree. But given the mm-hmm. conversation she has with him in the headmistress's office, I should say, at the end of Haplod Prince, um, 
Because she's trying to get Harry to tell her so much of what he yeah. and Dumbledore's yeah, plan yeah. is. Um, so is she... I'm guessing she doesn't know about the prophecy. Maybe she does. Um, but I think it's important that Joe gives us the scene in Prisoner of Azkaban where McGonagall is very skeptical of everything divination related. Um, she hates it. She thinks it's terrible magic. That's if, true. If at that, if magic at all. Wait, I think she does know because isn't she in the pub when they talk about, or she's in that scene where they talk about um, when Snape heard, or is that just a movieism? Am I remembering wrong? Uh, I can't remember for sure. There is a scene where Harry is underneath the invisibility cloak and listening to a conversation. About yeah, that's when they're talking about uh, serious. Serious. Yeah, serious. Yeah. yeah. Right, but the prophecy gets mentioned, doesn't it? I don't, don't think, think that so. early. Not in book three. Oh, right. Um, okay, there's some... I'm mixing up my scenes. But, you know, it's possible, very possible she knew about it. And I think she would have been skeptical of the prophecy itself determining someone's fate. Yeah. Um, right. Because she feels and has acted on too much her own free will and choice. But I do agree, Rosie. Like, by the end, like, because of just, like, the wheels turning, everything. And we see it happen in Deathly Hallows, like... Her own, her like main goal is holding off Hogwarts to so Harry can get done what he needs to get done. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's what I guess that's kind of what I was saying is that I'm not sure she would if Dumbledore told her, which I actually don't believe that he told her any of of those things, despite what I said a minute ago about her possibly being in that scene. Um, <laughs> because I don't, I honestly, just thinking about it now, I'm not sure. I think she would have had so many questions for him that he wouldn't have been able to answer. I and she doesn't, think- she doesn't have blind faith like that. Yeah. She is yeah. a facts person. Um, and I feel like she would have had a hard time. Perhaps she would have wanted very much to believe him, but she would have had a rough time, I think. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. I don't think, I don't think Dumbledore would have told her any details. I don't think he would have told her about the prophecy. I don't think he would have told her anything like that. I think it would have been a kind of a, at the end, when when this battle happens, you need to protect Harry and make sure that Harry gets what he needs to get done, done. I think that will be the kind of remit of information that Dumbledore gives to McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is enough for her to, to act on and to feel like, okay, she can do that. Um, mm-hmm. But he can refuse to answer any more questions than that. Um and I think for her to see, you know, Harry dead in that scene um, is the ultimate failure of both the plan, but also of her protection. Um, and I think that's quite a personal n- scream of no, as well as a um, it's, it's a no of lacking hope for the battle. But it's also a no because this is Harry. This is her charge that she has failed to protect in this in this battle because she would have done what dumbledore asked without even knowing any more information even if she tried to get it if he said no 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 she would have said okay i'll do it anyway right which is what she ultimately does for harry too right right exactly that's right that's right oh which speaks to those levels of trust right yeah which i know that's a beautiful thing she is a very trusting Mm -hmm. person once you get to that level do you think she and harry are friends like Um, not like friendly but you know friends you know what i mean do you mean like post hogwarts post battle yeah yeah so i was thinking about this earlier you know in her like retired life how much she stays in contact with people and i want that to be the case but i kind of almost just think she's very like solitary which makes me really sad 
But maybe I think she... Harry would look out for her though. Like he would so. send her Christmas cards, and you know, yeah, it would be I... that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. she would know the kids and all that. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and so thinking about how devastated she was at the thought that she had lost Harry made me think of how many of her current or former students she actually did had to see die in the Battle of Hogwarts. Um, Of course, Remus died and he was her former student. And Colin Creevy, we know, dies. Possibly Hannah, um, not Hannah Abbott. um, Lavender. Lavender. I don't know why I said Hannah. Uh, Lavender may have died. We still don't really know what happened there. Um, I feel like there may be one or two more Gryffindors, but... Was there one of the Patil twins in the end, did we decide? Fred. Fred, right. That's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Right. Um, So, no, I think... No, both the Patil twins survive. Um, But, yeah, so she had to watch... I mean, obviously, Harry meant a great deal to her, but all of her students, I'm sure, were... That would have to be very difficult to process. For all the teachers. Oh, yeah. Sure. Really. And then to turn around and we know that immediately following the battle, she was the headmistress. Mm. Um, We know that she retired at least by 2017 when um, Harry's second son um, attended Hogwarts. So yeah, (laughs) Albus Severus. So yeah, that was wondering what her retired life might have been like. You know, maybe she returned to that cottage in Hogsmeade if she retained ownership of it. If that was not too difficult for her to go back to, um, I don't know. I don't know what she would have done. Maybe it's all about her knitting. Knitting, the yeah. Same, knitting. Oh, I, I always assumed that Needle she would join yeah. a TV production company and uh, <laughs> and play a crotchety old woman. Perfect. Yeah, there that sounds go. like McGonagall. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I think, one of the, the last things that we could say about her. One of my favorite lines in the book is in this in the heat of the battle in Deathly Hallows, and Joe still makes sure to like enter a little bit of humor. Um, Harry runs across her, and he, McGonagall says, We shall secure the school against he who must not be named while you search for this, this object. Is that possible? Well, I think so," said Professor McGonagall dryly. "We teachers are rather good at magic, you know." <laughs> Such a great line. Did she have any other? She didn't have any other secondary education, right? She didn't go anywhere after Hogwarts. No, don't think so. Not that we know. Just of. ministry training. Mm-hmm. Great. Whatever her job was. Hmm. I wonder, I mean, besides, do you think that transfiguration was what she taught because that's where she was offered or because she was passionate about that subject? Well, she was passionate enough to learn to become an animagus. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. I think she was passionate about it. I've always had a question about her animagus form. It's always said that the cat form she she has, it has her glasses pattern on it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing for everyone? I mean, uh, did... uh, James Potter, did he, didn't he wear glasses? So I think it is a thing that you may have to, um, you have to get, like, you have to do, I'm trying to remember, if there, I think there's a passage in it, a paragraph in it, in the Pottermore, um, seeing if I can find it. No, it just says her distinctive, with its distinctive markings. So maybe you have to have distinctive markings, maybe that's like a requirement for an animagus. Oh, because yeah, because you have to describe what it looks like when you register. And that's what, yeah, she sort of chose. Okay. Do you think, well, that's the thing. Do you think you, do you get to pick that? Do you get to determine what you look like? Oh, like, I, I want to be a, a, a gray tabby cat 
with I like to square think was, glasses. It was her cat that she uh, grew up with that she wanted to look like. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, I hope so. That's cute. <laughs> yeah, I would think that you would pick. Hmm. But, okay, but if you pick, why a rat? Wow, that's a whole other question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've talked about that on the show before, baby. Um, I'm sure we have. Oh, no, I'm you sure know we'll what? I'm sure we have a Marauders topic, though, coming up. Pottermore right. says you cannot choose your Animagus animal. Oh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's meant to be like a reflection of your true self, like, soul animal kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, there you go. So, and we do know that um, McGonagall's, McGonagall is one of the few characters whose Animagus and Patronus are the same, right. too. Yeah. So, mm. something else to keep in mind, which is funny. Let's talk about that for a minute. Why? I mean, I know she had a cat growing up, but what is it about cats that, like, screams McGonagall? Yeah, because cats aren't, like, really Gryffindor-y. Ancient Egyptian gods of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. They're, they're more solitary creatures, more independent, I suppose, that, mm-hmm. that fits her personality. Quite yeah. regal. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes they have a mean bite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, like, them. being Scottish. Scottish wildcats are gorgeous creatures. Like, mm. she, she's definitely got an element of Scottish wildcat to her. Hmm. Could say that. Huh. <laughs> All right, it makes a little. Mo- I mean, I never not thought she was a cat, but oh uh, well. Of course, the cat, uh, the, the Egyptian goddess, was a cat. Her name was Minerva, I guess. Oh. So maybe oh. that's what ties into it. Well, there you go. <laughs> I started to wonder if McGonagall shows up in the Cursed Child, but I also just like don't want to know because I don't want to know anything. <laughs> until I, I know. Get into it. Same. Um, I was thinking that same thing when we were talking about it a few minutes ago. I was like, hmm. But yeah. I wasn't going to look it up yeah. to see. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that, that she's retired, hopefully stays in touch um, with Harry and other people so that she has some fulfillment still, other than her needlework. Mm. But I think that it would be we would be um, doing a disservice if we didn't at least take a moment to give high praise to Dame Maggie Smith, who just brought Mm -hmm. this character to life in remarkable ways. In a beautiful way. I feel like we... I just want movies about McGonagall. (laughs) But it has to be Maggie Smith. Like, it can't be anybody else. So somebody has to get on that real fast. Or we could do, you know, an origin story. We could... I don't actually don't want to open that door because that be so sad, though, right? WB is going to hear that. They're going to hear the dollar signs crunching. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Eight movies ordered now. Gosh. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But yeah, she is fan effing tastic. Yeah. Love that woman. All right. Well, are there any like lingering thoughts we have on this really remarkable character? I feel like we've really hit a lot, a lot of things here. I mean, let's just talk for another four hours. I'm down. I'm down. I think I'm our sure listeners would enjoy it. the last it. time we talk about her. Right. No, probably not. We have the women of Harry Potter, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. She'll make oh, an appearance yeah. there. Yeah. For sure. And obviously we're going to have our cats-themed episode. <laughs> right. Exactly. Of course. So yeah. Maybe we can close with like a favorite quote or something or a moment. I really like to have a Biscuit Potter scene. Oh, that is because a good one. I feel like that shows such restraint. And also, um, I think it reveals a bit about what she has dealt with as far as authority and choices in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it would probably have I to, like, it would probably sorry, have to be, 
um, when uh, she was reading the map as a cat out in front of the Jersey's house. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. One. What was she looking for? Was she, I mean, was she looking for the house? I guess, yeah, she'd have to be looking for the house. So. Or maybe she was just bored yeah. waiting for Dumbledore. Needed something to read. <laughs> That's cute. Was the um, conversation after the trio defeat the troll in the first book a movieism with the sheer dumb luck um, um, quote, or is that from the book as well? I can't. Because I really like that line. Well, if it's a movieism, then it's just you know, props to Maggie for that one. <laughs> well, I've got it right here. Let's see here. Oh wow, you guys have your you can get your books open a lot faster than I can. Um, I think that while he's looking, I think I want to say it's when she like comes to Harry's defense so fiercely against Umbridge. Um, yeah, that just like evokes a lot of things for me. Just someone. It, it makes me think of like how I felt about my students, and it makes me just—it's just such a like strong like moment of her really going to Harry, bad for Harry. I don't know. There's just like something about that raw emotion where she just reacts. It's very Gryffindor of her. Um, she just—it's a burst outburst that I just really love. Now I'm pretty sure it's a movie, isn't? Oh, never mind. <laughs> It says, it says, well, I still th- I, always, I still say you were lucky, but not many first years could have taken off full-grown mountain troll. And, yeah, it doesn't say anything about... Uh, does, does she not award them points? She does award the, the next... Event. Yeah, she wins, gives them five points uh, each. And then okay. says you may go. Yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. Maybe isn't then. <laughs> Never mind. You can still really In love it, case, so it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> In which case, I'll go for like one of the very first McGonagall as a human character rather than a, a wizard character and go for the um the scene where she makes Harry seeker. Mm. Just oh, the yeah. the trust in him from the very early age and letting him be is just really nice. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Sh- shows how much she wants to win. She lets yeah, little old Harry Potter <laughs> in there, right? <laughs> awesome. Alright, well I guess that wraps up our discussion on the very great my homegirl Minerva McGonagall. Um, so we want to take a second to thank Cody so much for joining us for this episode. There was a lot to get through, and you had some really great thoughts um, on on McGonagall. So thank you. No problem. It's been great. Thank you guys. Absolutely. If any of you guys out there listening want to be on a future show, you can head over to the Be On The Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. We also have a topic submit page up there. So if you have a topic like, you know, Cats of Harry Potter that you want to hear for the future, head over there and submit your topic in order to be on the show. Um, You don't need anything fancy, just, you know, a set of headphones with a little microphone in them and you'll be all set. So come join us. Come talk Potter with us. And you can talk Potter with us in very many different ways as well. You can find us on Twitter at MN, over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore. Our website, as you know, is alohomora.mugonet.com. And you can send us an owl over on Audio Boom. You can find that on our website, alohomora.mugonet.com. There is a little widget on the side. Just click the button and keep your message under 60 seconds, please. And you may hear yourself on the show. 
And one cl- quick last reminder to check out our Patreon page. It's at patreon.com slash There's a lot of different ways you can support us um, with different levels, but you can do it with just as little as $1 a month. Um, and we have people who sponsor both our main discussion and our recap episodes. So make sure you're listening to both. You can hear the, the great people that we are giving shout outs to for supporting what we do. Thank you guys so much for keeping our show going. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 198 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Dumbledore.